Welcome to Digibarn Radio, fascinating stories from the history of computing. I'm Tommy Cuellar. Our next piece, John Draper at Autodesk, was conducted and recorded by Tom Barbelay in May 2006. Let's listen. Autodesk. Okay, I'm going to talk a little bit about my experiences with Autodesk and how I first got involved with uh, Autodesk. So, I don't know, somehow or another, I had somehow gotten word that Autodesk was hiring. So I contacted the Autodesk, and there was an email message or something like that. This was relatively um, early in the history of Autodesk. I can, I, this was in 1980. I can tell you exactly when it was. It was in 1980, 85, 86, actually, about 86. Yeah, somewhere around 86. Okay. Okay. So Autodesk at the time had AutoCAD, and they had a, and they had a number of other AEC or the AE architectural engineering Certainly. system or whatever they call it. Okay, so I went down, uh, I contacted and said John Walker was the guy who I was to contact. He was like the CEO of the company. So I called up, called up uh, I sent him an email um, saying, is this job still open? And we had a few emails exchanged back and he seemed to know that I was Captain Crunch. Okay, even before I even got the interview. I said, well, this is going to be a waste of time. So I go down there anyway just to, just to appease him and what the hell. You know, was, so at the time, Autodesk was living in, uh, was located in uh, Sausalito, not Centerville, where they moved to. So I go down there and I interview with John Walker and heaven forbid, I got the job. So one of my first things with the job, they set me up with a Windows machine and a development environment and all the other, actually it was an MS-DOS machine, just regular, you know, I don't think Windows was even existing during that time. <laughs> 85, when did Windows come out? Um, well, 3.1 three, three, three came out in 1991. Mm-hmm. So basically everything prior to that you wouldn't have seen. It was, well, it was you just, get to, it was just MS-DOS, really. Exactly. Microsoft yeah, DOS, right? exactly. Okay. So then... Uh, Okay, so they, I got a Microsoft DOS window. And one of the things, one of the first things I wanted to, they wanted me to do is learn how to write a, write a drive, driver for a new window, a new uh, video display card. So he showed me some of the typical drivers there, and I got a list of drivers, and here's the disk card, and here's all the other cards, and I try to match and mix and match and put together some code to got it working. That was my first job. You know, it took me a while to get it working, but I got it working. Okay, then the second job was uh, was where I would be uh, doing some AutoCAD work with, um, I think they were going to put me on some other, some other few other cards to, to write a few more drivers at that point. Okay, they were going to get me a Sun workstation because I was going to do some stuff for the Sun and for the Apollo. Mm-hmm. So that's right, they got me Apollo, an Apollo workstation. Mm-hmm. So I, I I worked on the Apollo port of Autodesk on the Apollo. And that's the Xerox machine. I'm not sure whether Xerox makes it or not. It's just Apollo, and it's like using an using an Aegis operating system. Right. It's not Unix, but it's a shelled command line, but different. Has yeah. different commands, different than Unix, different than everybody else. And so I did a I did a, a port of Autodesk, worked on a port for the Aegis machine, and got that working, working on that. 
So at that point, that's when the BART fiasco happened. Now, I've got to talk about the BART thing because I was really fucking whacked. <laughs> okay, at the time I was working at Autodesk, I had Bill Squire staying with me who was living in my apartment. Okay. Uh, and he was doing useful things to help me out. Stuff who was like Bill that. Squire? Some background. Uh, I had met him in Mountain View in 1976. Actually, I'd met him earlier than that. I met him around 74, 72 maybe. Right. He was a hardware type of person. Mm -hmm. He knew about how to make blue boxes, of course, and Mm -hmm. did experimentations with them and stuff like that. Yada, yada, yada. So he basically, and I I looked him up when I got back, you know, when I got the job at Autodesk. Uh, And I'd been in contact with him quite quite a few times before that. So he was sort of living with me, and I was living in Alameda at the time, mm-hmm. at the South Shore Bitch and Tennis Club, Beach and Tennis Club. <laughs> so after that, I went to. Um, so he was working on his own little hardware things at the time. He was working on a radio station controller system for some radio station. He was working on doing designing and building some hardware. So he took over my kitchen table. I had all his, all his tools set out there. Half the time I wasn't even paying attention to what the guy was doing. Okay, so one of his friends comes over and I was just in the middle of finishing up eating dinner and I thought, well, I might as well just check out what these guys are doing. And I walked, looked over there and they were making these, they, they were making these BART card duplicating machines. This guy comes in with box of empty BART cards. I says, who are you? I says, oh, I work for BART. I says, what are you doing with all these cards? He says, well, we're going to see if we can duplicate BART cards. I says, is this legal? <laughs> he says, well, I guess if you work for BART, I suppose it's okay. So I just assumed that, they were, that Bill probably had a contract with BART or something like that. I didn't really... He thought the guy was joking, that it was all above board. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it turned out that the guy really was a cop and he was working for the BART police and it somehow or another the police somehow approached Bill and his friend Perry and got frenzy palsies with Bill. I remember Bill had met this guy at New Year's Eve. That's right, it was New Year's Eve. And BART has this has this uh, coffee and donut thing for people to get sobered up after New Year's Eve party. Mm-hmm. And start, Bart stayed open all day, all night, mm-hmm. and they had a bunch of free donuts and coffee for partygoers to go oh. home reasonably sober. Right. Okay. So Bart was, while he was waiting for the Bart train, Bill and Perry were talking about the red boxes, making free calls at red boxes to this guy. And he got, the guy was totally not in uniform or nothing like that, but he was a Bart cop just doing duty there with the donut stuff. Got, got roped in for that particular job. So what happened was uh, they became palsies and buddies with Bill. Of course, the cop thought this is pretty interesting. And, of course. And so um, then they talked about BART cards. Somehow they got on that subject. And Bill says, oh, I can make these. I can duplicate BART cards. The cop's ears, of course, Pierre perked up. And he said, oh, i got to meet this guy. Yeah. So apparently Bill had made arrangements for this guy to come over to my apartment without telling me who this guy was to, uh, to demonstrate how he was going to duplicate BART cards. He had this little rig set up, so you, you put the new, the new BART card here, the one you want to copy from up here, and you slide it over this little slider thing, and one would read the heads and copy it on the other thing. It's a simple record playback yeah, kind of a exactly. thing. Exactly, yeah. 
and he built the electronics for it, and he made a bunch of cars, and then he went down to test it. So then Bill and them went away, and they went down to test test this thing, okay, to make sure, to see if the BART cards would work. So he took the BART cards in there, put them into the ad fair machine, read the values of the BART cards. If they couldn't read the values of the BART cards, they ditched the card <laughs> to record it later. So he took the good ones, and there were some that didn't work, others that did work. Certainly. Okay. Then the, then the guy says, uh, well, this is great. Why don't you go ahead and I'll pay you for making me these cards right now. Let me go. And then just wait right here. I'll be right back. So at the time, Bill and Perry were inside Perry's van making and duplicating cards. <laughs> and in the BART parking lot, the, the guy, the BART cop, goes over to the rest of his police thing and says, they're in the van. Go arrest them. And Bill and them got arrested. Yeah. At the same time, Bill got arrested. Then they came and arrested me. At the time, I told Autodesk about it the next day. Autodesk, I told John Walker about it the next day. I said, I wouldn't talk to John Walker. It was I wouldn't talk to anybody else. Of course, it was in the news anyway. Certainly. So then uh, John was Walker your name says... Was in the news? Huh? Was, your, was it Captain Crunch? Yeah, was, it was so a whole... So your was... Yeah. Right. Yeah, so they found out about it. So the guys at Autodesk says, just stay home. You're still getting paid. You're still on the payroll. Don't do anything. Yeah. Okay, and they confiscated my Autodesk equipment when they came in. They took my all my Autodesk. Yeah, of course, took everything. I told Autodesk that they confiscated the equipment, and the Autodesk uh, attorneys went and got the equipment back. Yeah. Okay, so in the meantime, then nothing happened for like three or four months. John Walker called me up one day. and says, "How'd you like to work on Auto Sketch for the Mac and port it over to Auto Sketch?" I says, "Great." And when do I start? He says, "Here, here's the code. Give me the code." And I started working on it. And, but I didn't have a Mac because all my equipment got confiscated. So Waz gave me an, uh, a Mac that I could use, and he used. And, and Waz also got me because uh, Waz got hassled by the Bart cops too. Right. Here's what happened. Here's what happened at that point. Waz went to go see the Oakland A's game, and what he wanted to do, he had his son with him. So his son, I think at the time, was about nine years old. Yeah. And he wanted to take his son to the Oakland A's game, and his son says, "Hey, Daddy, can I ride Bart?" Sure, why not? So he goes to Hayward Bart, or goes to Hay not Hayward, yeah, he goes to uh, Hayward Bart, yeah, parks the car, and rides Bart to the Oakland Coliseum. Okay, so what happened was uh, his son's Bart card didn't work. He put it into the turnstile and he kept rejecting it, coming back. And then he Waz goes over to the Bart attendant and says, well, what if my, my card doesn't work? He says, look, that comes back and it came back and said rejected or something. And the guy, the BART attendant says, wait right here. He gets on the phone, calls the BART cop. BART cop takes Waz and his son down to the um, Lake Merritt station, okay, at which time they grilled Waz about what he, that he, and they were claiming that they were accusing him of tampering with the cards, and they threw Waz and his son in a holding cell for like six hours. So let me get this straight. Until they can get an expert to come in and take a look at that card right. to make sure that the card has been And the card was tampered. a regular card that he just bought. Yeah, just a regular card that he just bought. So they knew your connection with him. No, they did not know my connection with him. So how did? How, why was he? His card didn't work. They suspected that he had. But surely that would have happened to just in a sample size. A hundred, maybe two hundred people in the Bay Area. Don't know. I don't know the details. All I know is that they arrested him and his son. They held him up in a, uh, put him in a holding cell for four hours until they can wake up, uh, get the uh, BART engineer to come yeah. out and examine the card. Yeah. And then they, re 
then once they once they figured out it was their fault, they let him go. Right. So when Waz found out about the part of the fiasco that I did, thing that I got roped into, Waz says, "I got this attorney. I'll pay for all. I'll pay for your legal attorney fees. Go see this guy." So I went and saw this guy, this attorney. So he was handling my case of the part thing. Bill, he had a uh, his attorney had it was a public defender, but he got a real attorney, not a public defender attorney, because they didn't have a public defender available for him. Okay. Harry had his own own attorney as well. So each one, we had our own attorneys. Was it due to the technical nature of the case? What? Was it due to the technical component of the case that they needed a different attorney? Was it just the luck of the draw? That always, always, defendant? whenever you have three defendants, each of the defendants has their own attorneys because that one can snitch on the other. Certainly, certainly. But the reason that he didn't have a public, even though he'd had a public defender appointed for him, but he didn't actually have a public defender was because of the nature of the case, or was it? Don't know. Okay. For whatever reason, yeah. a regular attorney was assigned to Bill. Okay, so after that, what happened was uh, the case dragged on and on and on and on and on and on. Uh, Don Ingram was the district attorney of the Oakland Police Department, Oakland district attorney. And it was the longest case in all of Oakland history between the time the pretrial was just the longest thing ever on record. Yeah. All pretrial was almost a year. Yeah. It just kept going on and on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. They knew they had a case, but they had no thing. They brought in expert witnesses. We brought in, we tried to suppress the evidence because I had nothing to do with it. Yeah. I had pictures and posters made up to, in my defense. Showing that I where I was at in the bit in the room, I was over here. And actually, you know, I couldn't really see what Bill because I had this nice big desk with this thing that stuck way up over my head, so I couldn't see into the kitchen. Yeah. See, so I couldn't see there. And I and I had pictures of this showing. How could I see what Bill was working on? I didn't know. All I know is what he tells me. He works on radio station test equipment. He works on radio station stuff. Yeah. You know, I looked at that thing with heads on it. I thought, gee, that must be some kind of tree transport system. Yeah, exactly. Not exactly. How could I know? So, so anyway, so it just dragged on and on and on and on. Then the, also the expenses started going up and up and up and up. Of course. So then uh, Waz decided that, well, maybe I don't want to have to pay for this guy's legal fees anymore. Uh, he talked to the attorney, and the attorney called us in and says, well, I gotta, uh, we, we're going to cop a plea on this. And I said, well, how can, well, if I do that, I'll lose my job at Autodesk. Yeah. He says, no, we're going to make it, we're going to make it so you're going to cop to a misdemeanor. It's going to be not a computer-related crime. Instead of being a computer-related crime, it's going to be altering uni tickets, which is a misdemeanor. It has nothing to do with computers. Certainly. So that's what I copped to after a whole year. Yeah. So I think we got put on a, uh, on a probation and a diversion program. Right. Okay. For a year. So, okay, then after that all got there, then once that case was resolved, I went into Autodesk for the first time in more than a year and a half, and nobody recognizes me. Yeah. You know, they still had my, 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 my office space there, yeah. just almost the way, same way it was when I left it practically, yeah. with a few minor little changes to it. So, and that, so just to be straight, you weren't allowed to enter Autodesk over the period of the 
the no, local no, case? No, no, no. I was just asked to stay home. Oh, okay. Most of the people that are on a desk usually work home anyway. And oh, they okay. usually yeah, come into the sense. office once or twice a week. Certainly. And I usually try to plan my visits to arrive on, on there on Friday so I can go to the beer bash. <laughs> and usually the beer bashes at our desk are t- totally amazing. There are, at one beer bash, we had Timothy Leary, yeah. we had Todd Rundgren, okay, and Ted Nelson from the from the cyber from the Xanadu project. And so all these famous people were there at this at this uh, beer bash. And they always have really interesting people there to come in to give talks and stuff like that. You can enjoy beer and pizza and all the other stuff. That and this was John Walker's specific design to get yeah. this to happen. And yeah, exactly. And, that's how, and all, all soft drinks were free. Mm-hmm. You know, soft drinks and candy were free. You can have as much as you want. You can just pig out and get your sweet tooth just as big as fat as you want. <laughs> Okay, so that was the, that was the thing. Then I got moved over into the. Uh, I got moved later on. I got moved over into the AE AEC on the Mac thing. I wrote a little a little Mac installer program mm-hmm. that would install the AEC or the AES or whatever they called it, architectural engineering thing, which is a Lisp thing, mm-hmm. right? And all the files on the Lisp thing, and I ran this little program, it installed it on there, put it all in the all directories, right, the way it should be. And install it on the Mac version of the uh, of the uh, Autodesk. Then I got moved over into the uh, Future Group. At that time, Jaron Lanier was working on this hand glove thing and this goggle thing, and uh, we brought Glaren into one of our beer bashes and gave a little talk about this, and then gave us some technology to play with. And I got my hands on some of this stuff and I started writing code. They would do virtual 3D presentations using the hand-eye glove, moving 3D objects around mm-hmm. in real time, making things with your hands. That's, and that was the last project that I worked on. Okay, shortly after that, John Walker quit the company, and he moved to Switzerland to work at CERN, mm-hmm. or somewhere else at that. might have been somewhere else. It might have been CERN. I'm not sure where. CERN's okay. very close to where he is in Switzerland. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so he worked for them for a while. Okay. Then things started falling apart. A lot of people at Autodesk left. A lot of the upper management people left. Then, so now I had no more shield against the corporate whelms <laughs> of the company. Yeah. And so one of the, and then at that, I also at that very same time, Apple had an opening in the advanced technology group. Yeah. And I applied for that. And I got, I got to the point where I had about four or five interviews at Apple. Every week I'd go down to Apple yeah. and I'd interview for this APG job. I talked to a different person every time. I got to five people, okay, and they says, come on in, come on in tomorrow. Uh, they made me an offer. They said, come on in tomorrow for your first day of work, okay. So, but I got called very early in the morning from the Apple legal department saying, don't bother coming in. Mm. And you're going to guess why. Certainly. Okay, now, just at about that time, the new Prometheus League put a little article inside one of their magazines in an ad saying, get the Apple monitor source code wrong. Contact the the new Prometheus League here and make up a note. And then what I had to do is to send it to the new Prometheus League, and then they were going to send me a disk with the Apple monitor code on it. And, of course, the Apple legal department saw, found out about that. FBI started investigating. And, and when the FBI was investigating, they were down there at Apple at the time. I went down for the job interview. Yeah. Okay. I went to the beer bash 
Walter, one of my friends that was living with me at the time, he just got a job at Apple a couple months prior to my going down there and get looking for this job. So what he did, he went, he, he wanted me to bring his VCR down. So I took his VCR from home, put it in my truck in my car, went to Apple, went to my interview. After the interview, went to the Beer Bash, and Walter and I, we hung out at the Beer Bash, and I says, well, let's go get my VCR. So we walk out to the Apple parking lot, and I open my trunk up. Says, Here's the VCR. I give it to Walter. Close the trunk. Go back into Apple again. Yeah. And when I was doing that, I was being observed by the FBI. Yeah. That was why. That is why I think that happened. And the FBI says, "Who is that guy?" Yeah. Oh, I don't know. So then they got. Then they grabbed Walter, and took Walter in interviewed Walter, and Walter says, "Hey, you know something?" I just got interviewed by the FBI about this new Prometheus thing, and they were asking about you. Yeah. So that's pretty obvious what happened. Yeah. So anyway, so obviously I didn't get the job. But that was sort of, and of course at that time, Autodesk's whole upper management echelon was all completely rotating out, a new one coming in. Yeah. Had a whole new supervisor, all these new younger people, supervisors, they, then they saw me there. Okay. And I was still working in the ATG group. Well, what they did was they disbanded the ATG group and they completely reorganized this thing, let me and a zillion other people go. Yeah. It wasn't me, but a whole bunch of people got Certainly. purged out of their system. And that was sort of how I got involved at Autodesk. John Walker pretty much kept everything stable, kept me in there, kept me in there working as, uh, you know, as an employee yeah. and supported me all the way, all the way up to the end of the time that he had any control over it. Once he left Autodesk, it was it. I had no more shield. Yeah. That was the last job I ever worked for, and the last American job I ever had. Right. Didn't have any other American job after that, except one other small company, Andy, in Pennsylvania. And right. when I worked with him, he was doing a cable TV set-top box, and I was writing this language called Trust. And I think you were, uh, I was with you in Australia, because when I went Certainly, to Australia, yeah. I met you in Adelaide. No, no, it was uh, uh, Canberra. Canberra. Yeah. Canberra. I'm from Adelaide originally, so yeah. I've got friends in Adelaide who you met as well. Yeah, yeah, that raised people, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then I, yeah, then I met you in Canberra, I think I visited Canberra twice, as I recall. I can't remember. I, I remember you certainly... I went with that really tall guy. Yeah. Do you know how to get a hold of that guy? He... You met him... Uh, I met him at that thing called the Confest. Yeah. I met him at Confest in, in Tokenwall, I think. Yeah. But he was from Melbourne originally. He, he was originally a, from Melbourne, yeah. He had a shorter guy with him who... I'm not sure when you picked up. You arrived with two guys and there was another guy who had a girlfriend... Because I remember there was the guy who wore the hat, the shorter guy. Uh, that was the first visit. No, the second he, visit, he, I had the tall guy. I thought they all came at the same time. Well, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. And I got really sick because I got exposed to cigarette smoke. Yeah. I got a squiff or something like that that had tobacco in it. And I got to completely barf my brains out. Yeah. You were pretty rough after that. Oh, I was, that was, that was, felt like shit, man. It was horrible. Yeah. Because I know that it was fall. I remember you were showing me that the Definitely. trees were changing. It yeah. was in April. Yeah. And that's fall in Australia. Yeah. Right? It was getting toward the winter time. It was. It was cool. Because in June I left, and it was almost in the middle of winter in June when I left. Yeah. And it was cold in Sydney. It was. Yeah. And cold. Yeah, it was really starting to get really cold. And when I went back to L.A., L.A. was pretty cool, too, even in their summer. <laughs> and uh, so then I came back to the States. 
At that point, uh, I finished up my work with Andy, and that was the last job I ever had. Everything else has just sort of been piecework here and a piecework there. Yeah. But there was a period... You went to the loft soon after that, didn't you? Uh, the loft, let's see. Yeah, the loft came later. Now, let's see, when did the... Yeah, the loft came later. Uh, a couple of... About a year or so later, I believe. So let's see, the loft was in, see I went to Australia in 94, 95, right? 95, yeah. Okay. Oh, very end of 90, no, 95. No, yeah, 95. I left mid-95. Yeah. Uh, because I got, I left in June, 95. Yeah. Then around, uh, right, and then we went to Burning Man that, that year, and then I met and then after that, right after that, let's see, I stayed around uh, Mill Valley for, let's see, yeah, pretty much uh, through the winter, yeah, through the summer, and through the winter, and then, and then around early spring, And then the following summer, which is 95, yeah, 95, I was at the loft. Right. But I didn't get to the loft until around October. Because then that's where I met Radion. And he was, uh, he was one of the guys who told me to come down and stay, hang out at the loft for a while. I did. Kind of liked it down there. And then I was invited to move down there with these guys. Because, uh, I had high hopes of putting together their website and all that stuff. A lot of the, but it was a, a lot of people there had power trips. Yeah, I came in, I tried to organize things, got a lot of members at the loft, had a nice membership drive. It had a good website a for people. a while. I remember seeing it remotely from Australia, and the website had music and stuff. It had early streaming music, didn't it? Uh, I don't think so. I don't know. And I'm not remembering. They had their own website. I was making a new website. Right. And then a couple of the people there got really kind of like, uh, it, things got really weird out. There's a bunch of people left and some other people left and uh, others uh, came and went. Turnaround time was amazing. It had so many amazing things. They shifted things around. They had a bunch of parties up there. And uh, all in all, it was kind of like, kind of like the Heaven's Gate cult. Kind of reminded me of that. <laughs> Because it was like a culty kind of an environment. The yeah. People would have these altars set up, do this guru classes and yoga, and yeah. all this other stuff. Which I didn't mind. I loved the yoga stuff. It was really fun having yeah. it right there locally and everything. Certainly. It was really cool. So how long were you at the loft for? I, I was there all the way up until December. I was up there until December. Because I know I went to a Christmas party in December. That's when my... That's when I got DDoS attacked on my well account. Right. Again. I think time. I was, it must have been, was it 98 or 99? Then? No, no, that, no, that was 96 now. Oh, okay. Ni 95, 96 now. 96, yeah. 97 now. Yeah, 97. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so 97. And then I stayed at the loft probably right around January or so. Yeah, January or so was when I left the loft. Yeah. It just got too crazy. I couldn't stay there anymore. Yeah. 
So I went to the land at Liberty, Liberty Advance for a while and stayed there for a couple months. And I just kept running into these really sleazy people. So then John Chen contacted me uh, from Florida wanting to know whether he wanted to do business with me. At the time, I was pretty destitute and just desperate for any kind of work I could find. I couldn't find any web, web page web page design work because web page design work got such a bad rap for the Heaven's Gate thing. No one would ever, no one would ever in their right mind would hire a website designer after that point. Because like remember those guys are website designers, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so during the, uh, during spring and, and part of the summer, John Chin came, we went down to Mexico because we got invited to, to Coratario or something like that to give a talk at some university. Uh, what was that talk? Uh, on computer security stuff. I did stuff on hacking and John Chin did stuff on using, uh, I think at the time he was using Satan. He did a Satan demo. Mm -hmm. And I did some other demos on some other stuff relating to security and programming. And uh, John Chin stuck around for a little while, then he went back to Florida around May or June. Then I stayed there about one more month until from June until about July. Mm -hmm. And then and then I couldn't stand San Diego anymore. And I and got myself a used car. And then I got invited to stay with a friend of mine who offered me a free place to stay in Waco, Texas. <laughs> so I go to Waco, Texas. And Waco, Texas was where uh, I met this other guy who was a manic depressant, extremely uh, bipolar, very unstable, mentally person. One day he'd be normal, another day he'd be freaking out like you wouldn't believe. And so um, I went to New York to go to the HOPE conference right. that, that year. Uh, I was going to go in my car until my friend from Waco wanted to go with me. So he says, go in my car. So we both went together. I says, is it okay with your parents? His parents at the time were very possessive of him. Right. Very How old was he? 25, okay. 26, definitely an adult. <laughs> I wouldn't bring anybody under 21 with Certainly, me anyway. But, but nonetheless, his parents still had control over him. Very much control over a guy. So what happened was, I says, are you sure it's okay with your parents? He says, everything's cool. Let's go. I said, so I leave my car here, we're going to go in your car, right? Yeah, let's pack up the car. We pack up the car, and we left for New York from Waco. Okay, on the way there, he got really tired, and when he gets tired, he gets really cranky. We stopped by Judy and Andy's place, where Andy was the guy I did the, uh, did the work with. Right, yes. We stopped at his place on the way, and then, and then Teddy, named Ted, it would, he, he freaked out. He took the car with all my bags and stuff in it and just drove away. And he wanted to go wherever he wanted to go. He was on his way somewhere. He got lost, couldn't find anywhere where, couldn't find, he, he remembered he remembered our phone number. He called mm -hmm. Judy's number and says, uh, and started saying, I need help. Please help me. Come, please come and get me. I said, where are you? I don't know. Just please come and get me. He said, well, we can't get you unless you know where we are. I said, where are you at? He said, I'm at a Winn-Dixie or I'm at, a, I'm at a, some store or something. Certainly. And so we, there was like three stores in Allentown, Bethlehem areas. We went to all three of them in the shopping center. Yeah. And until we found his car, we found his car. I spent about hours looking for him in the shopping center. We finally found him. We brought him back. And uh, at that point, uh, uh, at that point, we had 
I said, you call your your parents. We're, you're going home right now. Yeah. I'll drive the car back to Waco when I'm done with it. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm putting you on a plane right now. Yeah. And, uh, and so I talked to his parents, and I says, you know, he told me it was everything, everything was everything was cool to, for him to come along. Yeah. And I and I believe you know, and I believe what he said. His parents were were very upset about it. And he says, well, put him on a plane. And we'll deal with the car later. I says, I'll be happy to drive the car back to Waco. Well, you've got your car in Waco. So yeah, exactly. So anyway. I says, I got my yeah. car in Waco anyway, so I'll just drive your car back yeah. at the time. So that's what I did. I, I went to the I went to the COPE conference, and then, I, and then I came back to Waco. I went back to Waco, hung out with him for a week or so, and then he got really weirded out. All of a sudden, I was just, after I came back, came back from a party, I was really tired. I hadn't been away. I hadn't been asleep for days. Yeah. And uh, I was just about ready to go to sleep. All of a sudden, the police knocks. And uh, he goes and answers the door. Yeah, he's right here. I want him out of my house. He didn't tell me nothing like that. Calls the police and has me rejected. Totally, just completely about ready to fall asleep. Yeah. My car wouldn't even start because it was just yeah. sitting there for many weeks. And so I, I, didn't, I didn't know where to go. He just threw me out of the street. Yeah. So that's sort of what happened there. We'll leave it this part at least sure. and stop it at this point. You've been listening to Digibarn Radio. This story is available for some uses under our Creative Commons license. Please check our website at www.digibarn.com. That's www.digibarn.com for this license and more great stuff from the Digibarn collections. This is Tommy Cuellar signing off. Thanks for tuning in.